0: This episode of Nordic Nation is brought to you by the Craftsbury Outdoor Center in Craftsbury, Vermont. With the vagaries of weather in the Northeast Kingdom, big nor'easters or not, Craftsbury will have you covered with snow this season. On those thin snow days, they offer skiing on a man-made loop. When snow flies and coverage is good, you can ski through farms, fields, and forests on their 105 kilometers of meticulously groomed trails. If you're not staying at Craftsbury, you will need to make a day-use reservation to access all the trails. Know before you go. You can find up-to-date information on the Craftsbury Outdoor Center ski scene at Craftsbury.com forward slash winterops. I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. This podcast is part of a series on female athlete-specific physiology and sports nutrition. With the help of experts and novel research in this area, this series unpacks the interplay between the menstrual cycle, nutrition, and training adaptations and provides female athletes and coaches with the information to help optimize fueling and training schedules accordingly. In this episode, registered dietitian and professional runner Maddie Alm breaks down how hormonal fluctuations during each phase of the menstrual cycle impact nutritional demands, and offers specific suggestions on how athletes might tweak their diet accordingly to ensure their body gets the fuel and hydration it needs. She also discusses how athletes who are negatively affected by PMS symptoms might experiment with their nutrition to reduce the severity of these effects, thereby lessening the extent to which they take away from training or performance. All right, so to start, I'm hoping you can... um, give a little bit of a background in terms of, since this is sort of more of a, a Nordic ski podcast traditionally, <laughs> if you can kind of give a little bit of um, information about yourself and uh, and your own athletic career and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Maddie Ulm. I'm a professional runner in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I grew up in Colorado. I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder, where I ran cross country and track Um, I was a walk-on, and I ended up becoming an All-American in the 1500, my fifth year. Um, Then I went on to study nutrition after um, actually we had hired a dietitian in our athletic department. And I started working with her and noticed a really big change in my performance when I started focusing on nutrition. So um, that's kind of what inspired me to pursue nutrition as my career. Um, I went on to get my master's in nutritional sciences from San Diego State University. And then I went on to do my supervised practice in Nashville, Tennessee at Lipscomb University. And now I'm a registered dietitian and I run with Team Boss in Boulder, Colorado, where I'm focusing on the 5K with the goal of running in the Olympic trials this year. And can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of uh,
0: I I really like that message of how kind of learning about nutrition and feeling properly really had such a positive impact on your career. What did yeah. that look like?
1: So, I had never really thought much about nutrition. You know, growing up in high school, I look back and laugh because I would have things like eggo waffle and whipped cream sandwiches for breakfast and I would have ice cream after school every day and you know, when you're young, it's it's good that you're able to eat that many calories. I think that for me, played a really big role in staying healthy um, growing up. But as I got to college, you know, and you're obviously trying to really have whatever edge you can on your competitors, um, I started to realize how not just what you're eating, but when you're eating it, and you know what types of foods you're eating, can really play a big role in your performance. And so, when I met with the dietitian at at our um, at CU, he started encouraging me to one big thing I think was actually drinking a chocolate milk in between our workouts and going to lift. Um, We used to just like go straight from really hard workouts into lifts, which I still do that, but I didn't know to eat in between. I just thought it was really normal to feel really tired by the time you got to the weight room and like barely be able to pick up the lightest weight there. Um, So as soon as I started having something like a chocolate milk or a bar, I noticed, hey, I can lift heavier and I'm gaining more from this lift. And I started to see muscle mass gains more quickly. And I was like, wow, that was a really easy fix. <laughs> like, what else you got? And so, you know, she started teaching me about um, fueling before and after and making sure you're eating enough throughout the day and that kind of thing. And when I started changing that approach, I noticed that I was not only gaining more from my training, but I was recovering better in general and staying healthier, um, not only from an injury standpoint, but I used to get sick all the time, which I now know is a sign of underfueling. Um So just some of those things – made me able to train more consistently. And that made a huge difference in what I was able to do during my time at CU. So you grew up in Colorado, did you ever have you ever tried cross country skiing? Or do you have any experience in that area? Yes, I I attempted it with my family. My parents love cross country skiing. Um, and I just remember when I was younger, I would go out and attempt it and it was so hard. Like it's just <laughs> such an aerobic sport. And I just remember like my toes being so cold and just not being able to get up the hills. (laughs) I I definitely attempted it, but I have a lot of respect for cross-country skiers after my many failed (laughs) attempts.
0: So you are currently, you said, you mentioned that you were working on a project kind of in the area of of female specific sports performance nutrition um, with Mm -hmm. a group in Boulder. Can you talk a little bit about what that project is and, and what some of the goals are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a team of four, including myself, a dietitian, uh, Megan Roach, who's a physician, and she's also a trail runner, Chris Lee, who's a strength and conditioning coach, and then Laura Thweet, who's one of my teammates, and she's a marathon runner. Um, She finished fifth in the Olympic trials this year. And we all kind of got together because um, Chris and Laura worked together as a strength coach and athlete. And he approached her about her menstrual cycle and asked, you know, like, are you tracking it? Are you doing all these things? And she was like, what? No. Um, you know, and she was like, I was shocked as a 30 year old athlete to be learning for the first time about my menstrual cycle from a male coach. Um, and so she started talking to me about it on a run. And I was like, yeah, actually, I'm reading a book by Stacy Sims, Roar, which I highly recommend if you haven't read Um, And that had kind of started to open my eyes to female athlete specific fueling and the importance of the menstrual cycle, which, again, is something I had never really paid attention to in my career. Um, And then Megan Roach, she specializes in research around female athletes. And so the four of us kind of got together and we were like, let's create a resource um, for female athletes and those who work with female athletes to help them understand the menstrual cycle and how we can use it as a tool to improve um, female athletes' performance and just their overall experience as athletes and not make them feel like it's this taboo topic that we can't discuss. So we're in the early stages of this project, but we're working on kind of like a docu-series um, where we interview uh, like a bunch of female athletes and then, you know, some science stuff from us. And we try to make it pretty fun and um, very relevant to female athletes. That's yeah, such a good idea.
0: Um, and it has seemed like... This topic is kind of starting to gain some traction over the last few years yeah. I think a lot of that has been start- sparked by um by Stacy Sims' work with Roar. That was definitely mm-hmm. uh, very eye-opening for me as well. Like I I I did not uh none of that had really even I, I had never even sort of thought that uh those, te- you know, where you were in your cycle or or um, anything like that would have such an impact on kind of um, training adaptations and nutrition. And I think it's so fascinating. Um, yeah. So what do you see? Because it, it's still like as it is gaining traction, um, it's not necessarily like ubiquitous, right? Like it's not right. something that everybody's doing. Um, what do you see as sort of the primary reasons that more female athletes aren't taking their cycle into account, whether it's with training or, or nutrition?
1: I think the, the main reason that I see is because they've never been told to. Um, you know, I think it's female athletes and female coaches are, females are very underrepresented in coaching. Um, and so I tend to see a lot of female athletes never having been exposed to that because, I mean, it is an uncomfortable topic for male coaches to approach with female athletes, especially when it's not something that they deal with. And it's not something that they're typically taught about when it comes to coaching courses and things like that. Um, So I think a lot of it just comes from a lack of exposure to the fact that it is something that you should be focusing on and that you should be tracking. Um, And I think a lot of females just kind of suffer in silence, more or less, if they have, you know, really heavy periods or cramping and things like that, where it's affecting their performance, but they don't really want to use it as an excuse Um, so I tend to see a lot of people just kind of perpetuating the silence around the topic. So I think now that more female athletes are speaking out about the importance of not only tracking your cycle, but having one, um, I think has really helped bring awareness to the topic and in doing so has started to open up doors for resources for coaches to approach these topics with their athletes.
0: And and there's so many different directions. I feel like we could take this, but, um, I'd like to kind of focus primarily on athletes who who do have a cycle, right? In terms of what you just mm-hmm. mentioned, like it's super important to have one, um, but focusing on, you know athletes who aren't um, aren't you know exhibiting habits of disordered eating or underfueling and haven't lost their cycle. Mm-hmm. So more for a, a healthy athlete who has a normal cycle or a relatively normal cycle, um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you know how f- hormonal fluctuations throughout the cycle can impact your your demands for various nutrients um, recovery where Where do you think we should start with this?
1: Yeah, so I mean really when it comes down to it like the main difference between female and, and male athletes is driven by these differences in hormones. Um, so I think that's important for female athletes to understand and a lot of female athletes see it as a weakness or something that makes them less of an athlete than males. But I actually think the opposite. I think it's a very unique feedback loop that we as female athletes get to use that males don't have. Um, and, you know, again, Stacey Sims talks a lot about working with your physiology instead of against it. So how can we take these differences in hormone levels and embrace them and, make sure that we're doing what we can to be the best athletes. Um, And, you know, if somebody has really severe PMS, how can we mitigate that with, you know, fueling and changes in training to make sure that you're feeling your best at all times um, rather than having to kind of go through these highs and lows associated with your cycle. So um, I think, you know, bottom line is that these differences can be a really good thing and can be used as, a great feedback source, um, that other athletes, other male athletes don't have access to. Um, but you know, that being said, it, it, it can be frustrating for some athletes who deal with these ups and downs throughout the month. So, um, I think just kind of starting there, you know, what is the cycle and, and how do, do your hormones change and what do these changes then have effect on when it comes to performance would probably be a good place to start. Yeah. And do you feel comfortable taking that on? Awesome. Yeah. So I'll just do kind of a really basic, quick run through of the cycle. But basically, I'll kind of divide it into two phases. So the first phase is what we call the lower hormone phase. Um, this is the you know follicular phase. This is where um, your estrogen and your progesterone levels are going to be a little bit lower. Um, and this is actually where we are the most similar to males from a physiological standpoint. Um, we are able to recover better during this phase, um, actually build muscle mass more easily, access energy stores more easily. Um, so typically women tend to feel the best in training during that first half of their cycle. And um, then, okay, oh yeah, go
0: ahead. So that's um, phase kind of phase one and two, if you're looking at kind of the, the fitter woman app, right? And so sort of starting with when you get your period up until right about ovulation.
1: That's exactly, your, yep. okay. Yes, yeah. So then, you know, everybody, I also want to preface this whole thing by everybody is completely different. Um, some females will follow this pattern and some females follow an opposite pattern in terms of how they feel. It's very individualized and there's no right or wrong way to feel when it comes to your cycle. Um, But that's where tracking it can be really beneficial for you to understand your personal pattern when it comes to your cycle. Um, But this is just kind of a general overview. Keep in mind that if you are on a hormonal oral contraceptive, that this does not apply to you. This does still apply to people with IUDs, um, but not necessarily to oral contraceptives or people with systemic hormones, uh, hormone therapy. Um, Okay, so after that first phase, the follicular phase, we enter the um, ovulation phase, which is, depending on the person, somewhere between days 12 and 15. And typically, women will feel, they'll kind of notice that time, whether they track it or not. There's usually a day or two where they just don't feel great, and they don't know why. (laughs) Um, You know, like everything else is fine, but they just kind of feel bleh for a couple days. That could be related to ovulation. So again, kind of tracking that personally for yourself. Do you notice this? Do you not? Um, I would say for me, I sometimes notice it, but sometimes I don't. So it just kind of depends. Um, but that's, that can happen. So, you know, pay attention to that too, for your own training purposes. Um, heading into the second half of the cycle, this is what we call the high hormone phase. So this is kind of when the body is preparing for potential implantation of a pregnancy um, and so when, that, when your body's preparing for that, the goal of your body is to store up all of these nutrients just in case you do have a pregnancy so that your body is ready for it. But because of this, um, it tends to be harder to access and store muscle glycogen. So that's our main source of fuel as endurance athletes. Um, there's actually a decrease in muscle building capacity there can be an increase in water retention. So you might experience more bloating during the second half of your cycle. Um, You're more prone to like a central nervous system fatigue. Um, You actually will have usually a higher sweat rate because your core temperature increases and you'll actually experience more sodium loss through your sweat. So you're more prone to dehydration during that second phase. Um, So, you know, when you put it all out there, it sounds like, oh my gosh, how do any of us (laughs) do physical activity? during the second phase. But I also wanna say that research has shown that your measures of performance, like your VO2 max and your lactate threshold, they stay the same throughout your cycle. So it's not that your ability to perform is decreasing, it just might feel a little bit harder the second half. And that's where some changes to your fueling can really help. So that's kind of a basic overview of the cycle, more or less. (laughs) So, um,
0: and that's super helpful. Can we talk a little bit about, in terms of, like you mentioned in that uh, follicular, follicular fl- phase? Oh my gosh, um, <laughs> I know uh, <laughs> yeah. that uh, you're sort of able to tap into energy stores better and, and build muscle a little better. What does that What does that mean from a nutrition perspective?
1: Yeah, so this typically tends to be the phase where. Um, you can really load the body and it responds better. So, for example, like if you're a strength and conditioning coach and you're working with a female athlete, the follicular phase, that first half of the cycle, is a really good time to maximize heavy lifting and the potential to build uh, a lot of muscle mass during that first half. Um, And, again, the body will respond better. And usually recovery is improved during this phase as well. So if you were doing, like, more intense training, um, back to back, you know, you're more likely to see the athlete respond better during that first half of the cycle, um, you know, versus the second half where that muscle building response is a little bit blunted. Maybe that's a better time to focus on mobility or body weight exercises where you're not overloading the tissue, um, and seeing a struggle with recovery or adaptation during that phase.
0: And is there any change in terms of what you're, what nutritionally you need to sort of like match match that training?
1: Yeah, so you know, again, with when it comes to building muscle, our focus is always gonna be on protein. Um, But during the first half of the cycle, you know, 20 grams of protein more or less is a good amount to aim for post-workout. The second half of the cycle, we want to really up that maybe closer to 30 grams, depending on the person and their size. And then specifically, we want to focus on a specific amino acid called leucine. Um, You may have heard of this. It's a branched chain amino acid, a BCAA. Um, And it particularly leucine plays a big role in muscle protein synthesis. So when you're struggling with the muscle protein synthesis because of the high hormone phase, um, increasing leucine can help. So some high leucine content things would be any type of dairy. Um, Soy is the highest plant-based source. And then, like, almonds, some of those things can can also have a lot of leucine. So um, whey protein it's, is probably the, the best bang for your buck when it comes to um, recovering from a session and getting the amino acids that you need to really maximize that muscle protein synthesis post-workout.
0: And I think um, I've read that there's sort of changes in, like, your ability to regulate blood sugar based on... Um kind of that the the difference between I think I think it has to do with um, how estrogen allows you or access sort of a stabilizer for right blood sugar. Can you talk a little bit about what that means in terms of your nutrition in sort of the low hormone versus high hormone phases?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so low hormone phase, again, it's gonna be easier for your body to regulate your blood sugar. So if you're gonna go out and train really hard, um you know anytime you're performing exercise, Carbohydrates or glucose is going to be your main source of fuel to fuel that endurance activity. Um, If you are in your low hormone phase, uh, that first half of your cycle, it's easier for your body to access your energy stores, your muscle glycogen stores, and really regulate your blood sugar to make sure it's in an optimal zone uh, to maintain your effort during aerobic activity. In the second half or the high hormone phase, it's just harder for your body to access those Um, muscle glycogen stores, and it's also harder for your body to actually store muscle glycogen again post-workout. So usually the best thing to do here is just to eat more carbohydrates, especially pre-workout. If you have a little bit more carbohydrates during that phase of your cycle, that can really help offset any of the negative effects of the more difficulty accessing those energy stores. Um, You know, it's also a good time from a coaching standpoint to pay attention to how your athlete is responding. And if you notice that this is a phase where your athlete really struggles with, you know, intense aerobic exercise, maybe focus more on a different type of exercise here. Um, So again, everyone can be different with this phase, but just tracking your own cycle and understanding how you feel during this phase can help not only you, but also your coach understand what would be best for you in terms of a training cycle. Um, if you tend to be somebody who's highly impacted by your menstrual cycle phase. And, um, in terms of sort of the, the sweat rate
0: and sodium aspect of that and how that plays into hydration,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um, I definitely notice like, I tend to have like salt cravings more in that second half of my cycle, right. When I'm, when I, especially in the summertime when, um, I'm definitely doing more sweating, but, um, Can you talk about sort of should there, you know, is that is it important for athletes to maybe include more electrolytes during that phase or how can you sort of offset
1: um, that phenomenon? So the second half of your phase well, overall um, differences between males and females in sodium and sweat is actually driven by differences in estrogen levels. So in your high hormone phase, the second half of your cycle, um, you're you're going to excrete more sodium in your sweat. Um, So this is a really important time to focus on electrolytes because you can put yourself at a greater risk for dehydration and also hyponatremia. So that's what you hear a lot about in marathons when people drink too much water and not enough electrolytes. um, You know, that's you're more at risk for that happening during that second half of your cycle. Um, Another thing that contributes to dehydration is that there's actually a difference in how thirsty you feel based on where you are in your cycle. So thirst stimulation is going to be more muted in the high hormone phase or the second half of your cycle. So it's important to remind yourself to drink water. And this is something I use for all athletes if they struggle with water intake, but especially the second half of your cycle. um, Like set reminders on your phone every couple of hours to drink water. Try to take sips um, if you have like a plastic water bottle right on there when you want to have finished a certain amount. Um, you know, just really focus on drinking, even if you don't feel thirsty, because chances are, you know, if you're in that second half of your cycle, you're not going to notice your thirst quite as much. Um, But it's actually more important to stay hydrated that second half because of your greater risk for dehydration.
0: And um, how about kind of key nutrients that maybe are a little different for women versus men? Um, Is there sort of Are there things that women might want to consider either supplementation or sort of like boosting um, in their diet at different times in their cycle or even just sort of more generally?
1: Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, there's, you know, with iron specifically, that nutrient is the recommended daily intake amount for females is higher than for males, mostly because we have a menstrual cycle. So we lose more iron um, through our menstrual cycle. So your need for iron does increase as a female athlete compared to being a male athlete. Um, but that being said, I always caution athletes against taking an iron supplement if they've not had their iron levels checked. Too high of iron can actually have very similar symptoms to too low of iron. And obviously, if you just start taking iron because you feel tired um, and and maybe you have too high of iron, that's actually going to make things worse. So I usually recommend trying to take a food first approach if you can, because it's really hard to overdo it on anything from food alone. Um, And then if you notice you're having symptoms of low iron or high iron, um, you know, get your blood checked before you start any supplements just to make sure that you actually need them. Um, But that being said, you know, most things I, like I said, I recommend getting from diet Um, other than really iron and sometimes calcium. Um, you know, nutrients that athletes need as a whole are going to be higher compared to general population, whether you're a male or a female. Um, So, you know, B12 and folate, those play a role in red blood cell synthesis. So that's important for your iron levels. Um, Vitamin D is really important for a lot of things as an athlete, but immune function, bone health, all those things. Um, Omega-3s are something that female athletes can actually take advantage of, especially leading up to their period, because typically there's an increase in inflammation right before your period starts. So, you know, that can be a good time to focus on foods high in omega-3s, potentially introduce a supplement that week, depending. Um, But again, you know, I'm, as a dietitian, (laughs) I really try to drive a, encourage a food first uh, approach for athletes.
0: And what are some foods in terms of that uh, omega-3s, what are some of the foods that you recommend in terms of putting that into practice?
1: Mm, Yeah. Um, So, you know, fatty fish, tuna and salmon, those are really great options. Um, Canned tuna is a very cost effective option um, that you can really, you know, use for lunches, you know, leaning into that week. Um, Flaxseed, chia seed, some of those are really great options as well. So, you know, just looking at foods that maybe have more omega threes than, um, than others. If you can swap, you know, certain like walnuts are high in omega threes, maybe swap those for something else um, during that phase in your cycle. So just really maximizing food resources um, to help mitigate that increase in inflammation. Um, And then just athletes in general can benefit from that because we do tend to experience more inflammation as a whole, just due to training load. So omega threes can be really beneficial Um, Again, the reason I recommend trying to focus on food first is because some amount of inflammation is necessary to see those training adaptations occur. So taking too many omega-3s can blunt a training response, Um, but that's where, you know, food sources come in handy because, again, it's challenging to overdo it on food sources um, but you're still getting those beneficial nutrients. And can
0: you talk a little bit about, um, you, you have sort of a, a plate approach in terms of, uh, matching your overall intake with workouts or your cycle. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, what are your recommendations when you're working with athletes or working with, you know, your own nutrition, um, in terms mm-hmm. of making it, it practical and, um, and easy to, to maintain, um, throughout whether it's throughout your cycle or just throughout your normal kind of training schedule?
1: Yeah. So I try to take a very simple approach to fueling. Um, You know, there's so many conflicting diets out there. Um, You can really find anything you want on Dr. Google, as I call it, um, you know, to support whatever fad diet you've recently looked at. Social media is a challenge because you have a lot of people posting about what they do, what works for them. Um so I try to simplify it as much as possible for athletes because the most you know the more simple and easy it is to follow the more likely you are to adhere to it and not only adhere to it temporarily but just long term it's more sustainable um even to your approach for fueling when you're done with your career as an athlete so my first approach is you know all foods can fit into a a training diet um Food is fuel and all foods fit is kind of my philosophy there. Um, So I try to take a plate approach because I think it's the easiest thing to do wherever you are, whether you're at a restaurant or your house, you're eating dinner at your parents' house, you're in the dorms. um, It's very easy to build your plate for performance just by checking off certain components. So the three main things I always tell athletes to focus on are carbs, color, so fruits and vegetables, and protein. And the ratio of those nutrients will change based on your training for the day. So, for example, a light training day, which I would consider 45 minutes or less, um, I tell athletes to try to focus on making half of their plate of color, a quarter protein, and a quarter carbs. Um, As you switch to a moderate training plate, so about 45 to 75 minutes of activity, it switches to thirds, so a third of everything, color, carbs, and protein. And then as you increase the length of activity, 75 minutes or more, you want half of your plate to be carbs, a quarter color, a quarter protein. So it's a really easy way for athletes to visualize, A, do I have those three components? And B, are they present in the right ratios based on what I've done today? And that tends to be a very simplistic approach to being adequately fueled to support your training.
0: Can you give some examples in terms of uh, in your own in your own practice in terms of your training and, and your nutrition, what is that what does like a a typical day look like for you?
1: Great question. Um yeah, so I run about 70 miles a week. Um my shortest day will be about an hour. So I always follow at least the moderate day training plate. And that tends to be true for most athletes in season. Um, You know, I see athletes say, oh, today was an easy day, so I'm going to have half my plate as fruits and vegetables. But maybe for their training load, an easy day means, you know, like a 60-minute easy run, which still falls within that moderate-day training plate when you break it down by minutes spent exercising. So, um, you know, I really try to drive home that it's important to focus on getting enough to eat, even on what you would consider to be a light training day. Because you're not only fueling for today, you're also fueling for tomorrow. And maybe you have a really hard workout tomorrow. Um, So it's important to, you know, focus on fueling every day, not just on your hard days. So for me, you know, easy days, I always eat before runs, no matter what. Um, That is another thing I try to emphasize to athletes that you should always be eating before training. Um, I'll have something like toast with peanut butter and honey, maybe a banana, and usually coffee. Um, And then I'll have some electrolytes as well. Then I'll run, then we come back and I'll make breakfast, something like an egg scramble with veggies. Usually I'll have a side of fruit and maybe um, something like toast or pancakes, or actually today we had donuts. So there you go, all foods can fit. (laughs) Um, Lunches, I'll do something like either a sandwich with deli meat and cheese, carrots and hummus on the side, Uh, maybe like a Greek yogurt and fruit parfait, something like that. And then snacks again, you know, I always try to have a few snacks during the day. Um, my rule of thumb for athletes, you know, try to eat every three to four hours if you can. And when you, when you have a snack, focus on pairing a carb with a protein. So, you know, pretzels and a cheese stick, apple and peanut butter, Greek yogurt and fruit. Etc. um, to help you make sure you get the most bang for your buck with your snacks and then dinner, it just varies, but usually we have some type of protein, whether that's, you know, fish, chicken, steak, tofu, um, we'll pair that with some type of grain. So either like quinoa, rice, potatoes, um, pasta, those are big ones for us. And then some type of veggie, whether that's a salad or oven roasted veggies or we do a stir fry where we mix them in. Um, And then I usually like to have something before bed as well. Um, So I'll do maybe like cereal and milk or um, even like a cookie and milk sometimes, you know, again, all foods can fit. Um, But yeah, I would say I spend most of my day (laughs) eating
0: and preparing to eat. (laughs) Awesome. Is there anything in this in this area that we didn't touch on in terms of
1: uh, questions I didn't ask or imp- important things to highlight? I think one that I wanted to touch on that I didn't was um, how to navigate like PMS with nutrition. So um, this is something again that's newer to me as a dietitian. I've recently been doing more research on this stuff, and um, I've been working on it with some of my athletes who struggle from pretty severe PMS, and it does seem to help them a lot. Um, not only reduce their symptoms, but actually shorten the length of the days that they have symptoms. So maybe they had PMS for five days and now they only have it for two. So I've definitely seen a big improvement in a lot of athletes who have started focusing more on this kind of approach. Mm. Um, So the first thing, basically five to seven days before you start your period, there's a couple of things that you can do, especially if you're an athlete that's prone to menstrual cramps. Um, One is magnesium. So Magnesium is a muscle relaxant. Um, It's a nutrient that plays a role in muscle contraction. So I like to do um, actually magnesium powder, like the calm drink. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's just like a, yeah, it's like a powder that fizzes in your water. Um, I'll do that before bed and maybe increase my dose, you know, five days before I start my period. And that actually really helps with cramping. Um, Another one, if your cramps are so severe that they're impacting your ability to train, Um, actually starting a low dose of like baby aspirin about five to seven days before your period can really help mitigate that. So, um, I would say save that for those who have really severe cramping, but, um, that can be something that really helps. And then again, like I mentioned, omega-3s are really big here in terms of reducing inflammation that tends to increase during your, um, the last few days of your cycle. So that can be helpful with some of those symptoms. Um, if you're prone to headaches, this can happen, too, because your hormones start to drop right before you start your period, and that shift in, like, homeostatic pressure can cause some, um, some headaches, so increasing more nitric oxide-rich foods, so this would be a great time for the beet juice that everyone loves, um, you know, arugula, watermelon, some of those foods, this is a good time to incorporate those and also make sure that you're staying hydrated. Um If you struggle with mood swings, again, this can be common because estrogen is linked to serotonin levels, so actually this is where more of those um branch chain amino acids like I talked about before with leucine and dairy products um can be really helpful so anything that has whey or soy protein so soy milk dairy based milk, yogurt, um cottage cheese, some of those things most animal-based proteins are high in branched-chain amino acids. Um, A lot of legumes like beans, chickpeas, lentils, um, whole wheat products, so grains, bread, cereals, and brown rice as well can be good sources of some of those. So, um, you know, (laughs) really when I break it down, it sounds like a ton of different foods, but um, salmon with brown rice that would be a great dinner right before you're about to start your period to help with the inflammation and the mood swings. Um, So there's a lot of ways to incorporate those. But it may take some strategic planning, some, um, you know, trial and error for you. But um, if you do struggle with some of the PMS symptoms and you notice they're affecting your training, um, starting with changing some foods around that time can be a really good place to start.
0: And can you talk a little bit about um, just do do you recommend – like tracking and, and kind of in terms of somebody that wants to get started with experimenting here. Um, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so I encourage all of my female athletes to track their cycle. Um, some of my athletes who have IUDs don't experience bleeding, which can be normal. Um, but again, sometimes they'll experience symptoms like cramping or mood swings. So do your best to track your cycle as much as possible. Um, If you've never tracked your cycle before, wait until you start your period. And the day one of your period is day one of your cycle. So there's a lot of apps out there that are really helpful. Um, If you have a Garmin watch that actually um, has a period tracking component to it. Um, So that's something that is really easy for most athletes to use. Um, There's quite a few Apps out there if you prefer to use that on your phone. So Flow FLO is one that a lot of my athletes use. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones. Cycles, I think, is one. I I mean, if you look on Apple um, App Store, there's tons of different options. But that's a really easy way to do it too, because they put a place for you to log symptoms. So You know, not only do I encourage you to track what day of your cycle you're on, but also track symptoms. So like we talked about, you know, your menstrual cycle can impact how you're feeling with your training. So really pay attention, you know, right today, I felt really good. I had my fastest long run ever and felt amazing. And then, you know, a week later, oh, I felt really sluggish today and struggled to maintain that pace. Um, You know, pay attention to things like that and look for patterns and then try to figure out from there. You know, what can you do with your diet, with your training coach, with your strength coach um, to kind of mitigate these different changes throughout your cycle and make sure that you're feeling your best? So, uh, yes, I would definitely recommend tracking your cycle. Um, it's, it's a useful tool for female athletes for sure.
0: And before we wrap up, um, I know you recently released a couple programs that are, uh, I, I, I don't think female specific, but kind of for uh, – athlete fueling. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about those?
1: Yeah. So I just released uh, one program for the new year. And my goal with this program was to try to combat a lot of those like new year, new you fad diets (laughs) where people are encouraged to do things like detoxes or cut out all these major food groups. Um, The problem with those diets is that they're really challenging to follow. They can be really harmful actually, both physically and mentally to your, relationship with food and your body's relationship with food. Um, And they're not sustainable. It's really challenging to maintain a diet that requires you to cut out all carbs. You know, it's pretty much impossible. So my goal with this program was to help people who want to change their approach to fueling, but they want to do it in, you know, an easy, simple, long term way Um, My goal was to give people a place to start. So I provide um, four weeks with five day menu plans, a grocery list to go along with that, and then also some uh, recipes to help. And my favorite thing with this whole thing is people look at it and they're like, oh, these are actually things I'm going to make. You know, they're really simple. They don't require you to have all these crazy ingredients on hand. Um, Personally, I love to cook, but I don't love complicated recipes. I want to be in the kitchen for no more than 30 minutes, um, if I can help it. So that was kind of my goal with this program was to help people, um, see that cooking for yourself can be easy and still nutritious and hit all those nutrients that you need in your diet. So if you're somebody who struggles to plan ahead or, you know, go to the grocery store once a week, you're going every day, um, this program might be something that you're interested in. So it is on my website. Um, It'll restart February 1st. So if you're interested, um, you know, feel free to reach out or check that out on my website. And were you also um, a collaborator on Emma Coburn's cookbook? Yeah, I was. So I helped create some of the fueling plans that you see in there um, using her recipes. We kind of developed some three different types of fueling plans so one is like an easier and off week um, one is leading into a race and then one would be like during a high volume week for you during during your season so using some of her recipes to um, adjust your fueling and some you know nutrition tips in there and then we are hoping to work together on creating another similar program kind of using the recipes in her book as well so, keep an eye out for that. And then I'm also hoping to create a female athlete specific version of the program that I have now. So kind of guiding athletes through the different phases of their cycle and how to adjust their nutrition. So um, that is something I'm hoping to, to have available within the next couple months. Anything else before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. I think just, you know, remember that every athlete is different. And it's you know, especially if you're a young female athlete, it can be normal to have variations in your cycle. But, you know, one thing that's not normal is to lose your period altogether. And I don't think enough female athletes understand that. So I think just seeing your cycle as something that's empowering, rather than something that makes you weaker, is really important for female athletes to embrace and use. And again, it sets us apart from male athletes, we have this like built in superpower is what my teammate Laura says, um, to track, um, you know, how we feel. And, um, it's really amazing what our bodies can do. So I, I would just encourage female athletes to really lean into that and use it to their advantage. And don't be afraid to have this conversation with your teammates, with your coaches. Um, it's part of who we are and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be afraid to talk about. So, um, you know, your period makes you powerful, honestly. (laughs) For more from Alm, you can follow
0: her business account on Instagram at fuelingforward or her athletic profile at Maddie S. Alm 12 The specifics of her sports nutrition services and her Simple Start 28 Days to Fueling Better program can be found on her website, fuelingforward.com. Thanks for listening.